You're listening to Cannabis Health Radio. Here are your hosts, Ian Jessup and Corey Yelland. Welcome to another episode of Cannabis Health Radio. I'm Ian Jessup. And I'm Corey Yelland. South Africa has the second highest incidence of skin cancer in the world after Australia. It is the most common cancer in South Africa, resulting in 700 deaths per year. Our guest today has battled skin cancer for a number of years, but has come across a product that has done wonders for his melanoma, his skin, and to his surprise, his weight. The product, of course, is cannabis. And joining us from South Africa to tell his story is Tiaman Korofsky. Tillman, thanks for doing this. We greatly appreciate it. My pleasure. Tell me about your melanoma and when it first appeared and you became concerned about it. Okay. I must have been in my uh, mid-50s. I played a lot of tennis as a youngster. And South Africa has not built the land of sunshine for nothing. Uh, The first medical doctor I went to see explained to me that we all played tennis without caps on. We used to play without shirts on as well. You know, get that tanned, rugged, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, he-man look about us. And we thought nothing of holes in the ozone layer or uh, any kind of skin cancers, by the way. Some of the older folks kind of said to us, you know, you should wear a hat, you should wear a hat. Right, sure. Play tennis wearing a hat. That's ridiculous. So... Um, it appeared on my face and my shoulders, the two areas most exposed to the sun. I had them initially removed surgically. Uh, in one instance, it grew back. The young doctor who treated me got a mouthful from me. I said to him, hey, you know, you should offer a guarantee on these removals. I mean, you took out one, now there's two growing there. <laughs> uh, blah, 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 blah. And I said to him, okay, make sure you get them both this time. Yeah, well, the root system and this, that. Now, they got an excuse for everything. And then, of course, you get given the ointments to put on you that do more harm to the wound, <laughs> good, etc. I decided no. And I had a look at uh, what was going on with High Noon Radio. I think that's where I first met up with Corey and a bunch of other fine people. And I began reading and researching myself on the Internet. And I said, I can make this stuff. I remember what we did in the 60s when the... Uh, the Furry Freak Brothers first published on the back of one of their comic books. Oh, the you Freak know. Brothers. I remember them. Do you remember them? Yeah. Either? The Freak From Brothers? The no. You don't? No. You aren't enough of a oh. freak. No. Okay. <laughs> oh, oh cold, cold. <laughs> That's like part of history. <laughs> yeah, definitely. They, they wisened me up to this, but that was recreational. I got into the health side, and uh, I just decided to put myself on a three-month RSO clean-out-the-cancer system. Not that I felt like I had any cancers, but I was was attacking them from the outside and the inside because I got one growing in the corner of my nose where a friend of ours's uh, lady friend was a nurse at the local hospital, a big one. She took a look at me and she said, hey, you've got to get that thing seen to. And I said, oh, yeah? 
And she said, yeah, it's going to grow and it's going to get awful. So I said to her, because I'd taken care of another one you know, on my neck, I said to her, well, I'll tell you what, let's all get together in three weeks' time and this will be gone. And she gave me a funny look. Uh, it turned out it was four weeks, but it doesn't matter. She could see. And she said, you know, you told me you were going to get rid of that in three weeks. I, uh, without surgery, she said, I didn't believe you. So uh, you, you made your own oil? I made my own oil, right. Okay, yeah. okay. so and, and you applied it topically as well as ingesting it? Topically as well as ingesting it. I watched one of the, um, the YouTube movies. And I said, I can do that. And I, I'd, I'd done organic chemistry at university. So I knew what they were talking about when they were discussing polarity and other things. Right. And then with the Furry Freak Brothers, we used alcohol with a distiller. I mean, this, this is like literally like the moonshiners making liquor. I mean, we were, we were stripping the, the uh, THC off the plant. And we didn't know then that it was growing on the outside. We thought if you stuck it in the blender and mushed it up and murdered the plant and then boiled it in alcohol, you got THC out. Well, you got a lot of plant wax and chlorophyll and the other junk too. Um, Rick's method using, uh, well, we call it benzene in this country. Naphtha works beautifully. And so you made your own oil and you, you took it internally and applied it topically as well. Yeah, and I grew my own plants, and I stuck to the indica because of the uh, curative nature. Right. I wasn't looking to party or anything like that. I was looking to kill these buggers because they're growing on my body, and they were disturbing me. Uh, and I also had this weight problem, which – and now the beauty of this is I didn't go on a diet, okay? okay. I didn't say to myself, okay, you're not going to do this. Not gonna. I just got into the oil. I got onto the dosage, and I discovered that I was walking into the kitchen, taking a look around, having a laugh, drinking a glass of water, and going back to the internet, or going outside and playing in the garden with the plants. Um, that, that's it fascinating. Just fell off my body. The weight fell off your body. But when you do, you yeah. remember the first time you took the oil? How you felt? Um, well, I started off on uh, half a grain of rice. And I felt nothing. So I carried on with that. And then I took uh, a blade uh, that I would normally roll a joint on uh, and a toothpick. And I smeared some of the oil onto the joint. Okay. Because I don't have a dabber or these fancy equipment that you've got on the West Coast over there uh, for putting it into... You know, those aerated bags, those bags that you burn the, the oil into? Mm-hmm. Vaping. I couldn't vape it. You know, I, actually what I wanted to tell you was I discovered that with putting it on topically, 3M company, because a lot of people were saying, well, how do you keep it on for like three days? And, do, 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 do. and 3M make a brilliant bandage that you put on and it, 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 because I shower twice a day sometimes. You can shower, you can lead a normal life, and the bandage stays on, and then a bit of coconut oil in there as well. With the oil, mixed together with the oil. Yeah, I don't, I don't mix it with the oil, Curry. I no. keep the oil 100% neat uh, because uh, Bronwyn gets a teaspoon of that and about 20 teaspoons of coconut oil. That gets mixed into a shallow uh, a, a bottle that we've got that goes on her uh, bathroom table, 
And that's the facial cleaning, whatever, because she started on it as a joke. And her friends were going, she's got a church group she goes to and, and a book club. And they're going, uh, what are you using? You know, and so they're expecting one of these ST Lauder type answers and <laughs> hundreds of dollars for a tiny little tub of garbage that you can barely rub on your nose and you run out of it. And she said, no, my, my husband's got this coconut oil that he's making. I, I, we call it mutia. He's making medicine with, with coconut oil, not mentioning anything about the cannabis or anything. Right. And, uh, no, we had a friend who had uh, a mastectomy, and we made some, uh, some of this coconut oil for her to rub onto the wounds. And she threw away the rubbish that the doctors gave her to put on her wounds, and then the wounds like healed, like, you know, literally overnight. Now, the melanoma on your face, how long before right. it disappeared? Uh, it's an ongoing thing, Ian. Uh, I clean it up, and then uh, one that's been latent on the other side of my head will just suddenly pop up. So I used to wait until I had two or three of them and then go and see one of these plastic guys and he'd, he'd hit it with a... They, at first, they were cutting them out with you know, knives and forks. That's way back, 20, 30 years ago. Then they got... Um, this equipment where they can zap you with, you know, is it an isotope or whatever? You know, they can focus a beam onto your face, burn the thing out, and cauterize the wound at the same time. And then they send you home with a bunch of cream to rub on your face as well. So is, this, is that a sorry? No, go ahead. Is Corey. that a, a form of chemotherapy? The cream that they send you home with? No, no, Corey. That's just after they've removed the. Oh, after they've stuff, done it. Oh, I thought they this instrument. Yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, it's got a TV screen. It's a bit like the dentists now. They, they take a shot of your mouth, they load it onto a computer, and they've got it on a screen, and they can literally work off the screen. But at any rate, um, I use it because it's an ongoing thing with me. I'm going to have these things for the rest of my life. But they're not threatening in any way. I've got one on the top of my head that I've just left alone. It, you know, it hasn't gotten any bigger. It hasn't gotten any smaller. And it uh, looks like a very tiny little turtle. <laughs> well, I wonder if, you know, I don't know a lot about melanoma, but what I do know is when people develop melanoma, it's not necessarily from being out in the sun three weeks ago or last year. It's from like way back, even in your childhood. So I'm wondering yeah. why this, wondering if that's why this is a continual battle with you. Because no, I had a very healthy upbringing. I had grandparents who lived organically, so there was no early poisoning. I, I, no, I had I'm just some a- routine uh, vaccination shots, but I still have my my appendix. I've got both my uh, tonsils. I, I I once went in for a, an upgrading on my insurance uh, policy, uh, life insurance I was carrying. And the doctor that examined me went through the box ticking these things off. I think I was in my early 50s when this happened. And he looked at me and said, you know, we don't meet many people like you. And I went, what? He said, you've got, you've got everything that God gave you when you were born. And I said, yeah. He said, well, most people have had this removed or that taken out or this taken out. He said, it's great to see a model that's still running with all the original parts. I thought that was quite cool. Yeah, Tailman, you'd be interested. We did an interview last week with a fellow in Milwaukee who had colon cancer, uh, which spread to his liver. 
and yeah. the and prostate, and they wanted to take out his prostate, and bladder, his his uh, part of his colon, essentially, and yeah. his bladder. And he says, "Well, why do you want to take out my bladder? There's no cancer there." And they said, "Well, that's just the way we do things." Yeah, and they wanted this to, they wanted yeah, they wanted to, to take out a, a muscle from his stomach and sew up his rear end and give him two bags to carry for the rest of his life. Yeah, and he yeah, was he was yeah. he was seventy three. And you're what seventy seven seventy seven four years older. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, and he started on cannabis oil, and uh, he feels better than he has in thirty years. Yeah, the sad thing is that he didn't get to the oil before they did all that destructive rubbish. I mean, you know, I read these stories and I see they've got this guy, this person that's recurred, the the cancer, they've treated it, they get cleared up. I think the one tragic case was the woman who went in, the doctor said, no, it's around your bladder. He goes in, he snips her bladder, and she ends up with one of those colostomy bags uh, on that. The doctor's fault, not hers. And by the way, they didn't find anything in there. But it's all explorative, and you've got to pay for it, whether we win or lose. You know, you're the loser all the time. When you were on the cannabis oil, how much weight did you lose? Um, gosh, okay. Uh, 30 kilograms of 62, 70, about 80 pounds. I adjusted from about 240, 30, 40. You know, I don't check my weight, okay? I haven't got a scale around the house, but when I go from a 36 on my pants, on my belt, to a 38, you know, I know I've picked up weight. And when my jackets don't fit me anymore, you know, jackets that I bought 10 years ago, I know I've put on weight. Well, now I'm getting into jeans I haven't worn in <laughs> 10, 15 years. So, uh, and I can feel it, too. You feel a lot better today, do you? Oh, yeah, immensely, immensely. A lot healthier. Doctor Bob is right when he says if you if you if you balance your endocannabinoid system, you're going to live in harmony with with life because that's what it's all about. We've got to get into balance. We mustn't bang ourselves over our head over the head, forcing us into like the diet or uh, you know you've got colon cancer. Oh my God, it's it's going to spread here, there, and everywhere. No, it's not. Or let it. Get onto this and we'll kill it wherever it goes. Because it, it, RSO works. There's no no voodoo fancy schmancy here. Sure, one or two people who are either allergic to can- cannabinoids, which I find difficult because they probably die on the breast, but they didn't. Uh, but I'm sure there are some people that it doesn't work on, okay? But most of what I've read, and I think I've read a lot, says that if you do it the right way, you buy a high THC plant, you make it an indica, you're looking for health. I mean, my buds on the plants I grew, and I grew them organically. I, the water did not come out of a tap. It came out of a pond that the fish were making love in. I was even using the poop on the bottom of the pond because it, it used to be a swimming pool. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I used that as fertilizer. So when I tell you that I grew buds where the colors were the size of a two-liter cold drink bottle, I'm not talking other side of my ear. And I had easy, uh, well, I had like nine-odd kilograms. That's 18, that's almost 20, that's over 20 pounds of pot here that I grew in <laughs> one year that uh, I'm, I'm still making oil out of that, okay? I also learned how to put the best of the best away in 
uh, calling wear jars. And when friends come around and say, well, have you still got some of that? I say, yes, yeah. And we roll out and we have a spiv and they go, man, it's, you know, they don't make shit like this anymore. <laughs> yeah. Now, you were mentioning to us that your uh, wife lost weight as well? Certainly, absolutely. And she was taking not more than uh, half a grain, maybe got up to a grain because she got a bit woozy and could, couldn't take time off work. So we started over the holiday to get her up to speed and then put her onto like a, a maintenance dose. And hers was more for the weight loss than for anything else because she doesn't have any of these melanomas or cancers. And, um, but she had problems getting into pants that she bought, you know, the last spring sale and uh, <laughs> buying new pants every year because she was outgrowing them. However, they didn't get thrown away. So on the way down, they got back into fashion again. And we recycled them. Now, when you but said you, great, when, sorry, 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 when you said you grew uh, twenty pounds of, of plant, how many plants? Yeah. How many plants was produced that twenty pounds? Okay, I had about twelve plants growing in bottles uh, because at the time I had my roof being redone in the house, and I had to grow them through that summer. And that's when the roof had to be done. So I had to have them movable. Okay, they couldn't be static. And I knew that I needed lots of roots from growing in pots before. And I set that up on a on a trellis in the backyard so that I could move the plants when the, when the laborers came to work on the roof. And when they were gone, I could put them back. And that lasted for about a week, but I didn't know when it was going to be. And I didn't want to discombobulate the plants too much, but I marked them so that they went back in the same position every day. I wasn't getting them all twisted in a knot and, you know, I was kind to them. Then I had about eight large pots in which I was growing single plants. Okay, and I've developed a knack over many years of finding out that the males are the ones that grow the fastest and they're skinny and all that. And I have an interesting story on males too. The females, which are the shorter, bushier, the more oriental figure of what a lady looks like in silhouette. And uh, I grew those into like big bushy, like you see when the guys are bragging about how <laughs> well they're growing their Like plants. all those pictures that Jindrick Bayer posts. <laughs> Sorry? Like all the pictures that Jindrick posts, Jindrick Bayer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that sort of thing. Yeah. But also, I got involved with the plants because I wasn't going to be running around with a spray gun so that anything that landed on it got killed. I saw worms, I saw eggs get laid on leaves. I knew if I picked a leaf off that, whatever was living on that would just die because I'd throw it in the trash heap. But I didn't do that. I left those eggs on the plant. And sure enough, little hairy caterpillars, green, green and black striped ones, hatched from the eggs, and I watched them grow, and, and, and by the way, there were maybe 40, 50 eggs laid, and suddenly there were only five or six of these guys, but there were a lot of birds that would pitch up at midday that were very interested in the tops of the plants that these wormy guys were, were living in. So the birds took care of the caterpillars, who did no damage at all to the plants, and they might have done a bit of trimming for me. That, that was it. I have praying mantids that live in there. I've had uh, huge spiders, okay, the kind that really scare people. 
I've had those mothers drag their nests into underneath trees that I'm growing, uh, cannabis plants, and I've watched those babies grow. And when they hatch out, you know, you get like several hundred of these little blighters, and they're all pitch black, so they're very easy to see. But they, they find themselves a safe place because it's eat or be eaten over there, okay? You either pray or you pray. I let them all go to it. I put organic water into the into the soil. I have earthworms that are like pythons. They're enormous. <laughs> <laughs> and I've got mushrooms that grow automatically underneath these these uh, these plants because I'm doing it mostly as permaculture because I'm a lazy bugger. Uh, but I also, you know, take great care in how I take care of the plants. So. And that is staying away from anything that says it's a pesticide or anybody's got a great idea on how to make things grow faster. I've done the uh, molasses in the uh, in the soil trip near the end. Uh, it didn't impress me. Thielman, when you have had your friends over, have you converted some of your senior friends to use cannabis? No, not at all. No. And we, I, my, my house is very private as well. The, the, the yard area that I work in, it's got my, you know, woodworking tools and my stuff and the laundry's in the back there. There's an enormous avocado tree that we planted in there when we, well, small when we arrived in the tree, in the house 15 odd years ago. But it's very private, so we can entertain our friends in the front of the house. And, you know, those people don't know what they're looking at if they do happen to wander into the kitchen and look out the backyard and see these lovely green plants growing. So, um, so Til- say it's bamboo. Tillman, are, like are they aware that you use cannabis? Uh, yeah, we, 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 we're not uh, shy about what we're doing, but we're not going around talking about it like, hey, we got the best stuff since sliced bread here. And why aren't you guys all doing it? Because that you attract the police and you get yeah. selfish people yeah. who pissed off at you who would love nothing more than to report you and see you come down. So, you know, not that I attract that vibe to myself, but I'm, I'm, I'm very cautious without being schizophrenic about it, for example. My neighbors know what's going on, uh, not from my telling them, just from them being cool. And uh, luckily there are no amateur growers in my area because – to get back to that story, I was going to tell you about the male plants. And on my very first grow, I had a glue indica kush that I imported from Holland, seeds, which cost me a little bit of money, but I figured I'd start off with the right stuff. So I grew a male plant, which I took clones off, and four females, which I took clones off. Okay, then... I took three male clones off my male plant, which I allowed to go to flowering because in the first grow year, I decided I'd need to get seeds because I, I wasn't going to buy them at the price these guys were selling them at. And I didn't want crossbreed going on, so I had one male to handle this whole thing. The three clones that I took were insurance. So I grew them in a separate pot in the yard, and I had no place to put them because all the ladies were getting the attention and the sunshine and everything. So I stuck them under the pot that the male, big male plant was flowering in. 
they really got to flowering stage. These guys were still in the, not vegetative, but they were they were they were males. They were male plants. They were long, lanky, skinny boys that came off their daddy, which was right above them, making pollen. Well, from working with these plants and checking out and doing this and not paying much attention to the three boys at the bottom. I'm collecting pollen, by the way. I've got a big uh, stainless steel bowl, and I've got a wooden uh, spoon, and I'm tapping the flower when the wind isn't blowing too much. And I'm, uh, the pollen is just raining down into this stainless steel bowl because that's all being put into a bottle, okay, because you can keep pollen for centuries. So that's my pollen reserve because I'm not growing males anymore after this baby. And he did his thing, and I took him out and sacrificed him to the compost heap. And I look underneath, and there's three ladies. Okay, now, I've got nothing to win by promoting myself on your program or anything, but I can tell you without a shadow of doubt that those three male plants that I took off the male that I put underneath their dad turned into females because they said there's no point in becoming boys. He's going to kill this guy upstairs, yeah? Look at the way he's treating all these girls. Let's become girls. <laughs> and I did. And I trellised them, and I got heads off of them because I had one or two friends who were looking at me going, uh-uh, this can't happen. We know what you did. We saw what you did. And we know what your females look like. Where did these three come from? Because I built a beautiful trellis out of bamboo that I could shade, that I could angle, you know, like guys are doing with their uh, solar water panels or even with the solar heat panels. If you, if you tilt it at a certain angle, you get more sunshine on it than if you just leave it flat. So I built my trellis for these three girls in such a way that I could trellis them, make sure everything was going fine. They got no more fertilizer from that. I got no seeds out of them. They all grew into healthy buds like I was going to do with the rest that I'd uh, nurtured. So you gave your plants plants a sex change? They did it themselves, Ian. They they, they are so clever. You know, all these kids that are frantically running running around looking for the best compost and the greatest fertilizer and Okay, I know a lot of them are living in apartments, so it's difficult, but anybody who's got a garden and, and lives in a house can start making compost immediately because you can take stuff like skins that you've got in your uh, kitchen instead of grinding them up and sending them to the city sewage department, throw them into a little pot which you can take outside and you can get one going. And With the health hazards, and because uh, I've got kids who live in the States, you can actually build a cage that you can put over this so that the rats and mice don't get at them. And you can start a, a, a compost heap yourself, like these guys who do the worm farms to get the, the worm poo and the worm soup and the worm whatever. Or you can do it naturally in the ground. Tealman, with your use of cannabis on your melanoma and yeah. uh, what it's done to reduce your weight by 80 pounds, you said... How do you think, where do you think you'd be today without cannabis? I'd probably be dead, more than likely. Well, Ian, I had a a rather bad bicycle accident when I was about uh, nine years old. I was was between the third and the fourth grade at school. Uh, And I was now uh, enamored by the circus. 
and all these guys that were riding around on bicycles, you know, with their feet on the saddle and uh, hands on the handlebars and then letting go of the handlebars, riding uh, without holding handlebars and all that. And here I was in my backyard in a, in a, a, a suburb with large properties, so there was not a lot of traffic, and it was a dead-end street anyway. But there was a, a young pup that enjoyed chasing the front wheel of my uh, bicycle, and I didn't mind it that much. I think maybe the dog and I had an altercation one day, and the dog got me off second best because I ended up whacking a tree and was out lights cold for two days. Okay, now this was we're going back to when they probably knew about uh, what concussion did and how the brain could swell up and pop out through the ears or go down the back of your spine and cause all sorts of problems there. So I don't know whether I was sedated or what, but I was out for a long time and they took x-rays, which freaked me out more than anything else because I thought they were going to cut my head open. But, um, you know, I had no parents around me when this was happening because I was in a, in a children's hospital. But uh, I wasn't being badly treated. I was just rather freaked out because I'd never been in a space like this before. But then years later, I got worried about mental health and having had that accident. And then I went through the, the, the LSD phase in the 60s in California where they were coming up with, oh, you know, 3% of you guys are taking LSD are going to have irreversible chromosome damage, blah, 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 and I'm still planning on having another child. And my wife is looking at me going, uh, you're tripping around like a hippie now. Look what you're going to do. You're going to screw up your these things, what these doctors are talking about. Well, turns out that if you do a random search in the population, you find out that 3% of the population have got broken chromosomes anyway. Okay? Mm-hmm. So they didn't do their study correctly. They studied just a large portion of guys had taken acid, and they found that 3% which had broken chromosomes anyway. But they blamed the acid. When you, when you research cannabis and you, you, <laughs> you look through medical studies, you find out how flawed a lot of medical studies are today. I mean, Absolutely. I was reading one the other day that talked about um, uh, 93% of people who... Uh, use cannabis, get off opioids. And I thought, okay, well, absolutely, that's true. But this, it wasn't a study. You know what it was? It was a questionnaire. Oh, and, and I mean, <laughs> and it was, it was classified as a scientific study. Now, a questionnaire to me is not a scientific study. Because every time you ask a question to those same people, you may get a different answer. I'm not saying the results were incorrect. I'm just saying if the mainstream medicine wants to use science-based evidence, then let's use science-based evidence. And that is far and few between today. I mean, it's just it is so flawed that uh, a layperson like me can find flaws in that. I'm sure other people can as well. Tillman, well, I think they're embarrassed. Pardon me? They're embarrassed. They, 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 the cat's out of the bag, and, uh, you know, they've been left out. Uh, let me say this about South Africa is a strange country, you know. They're full of anomalies and everything. Back in the 1930s, they had a situation over here where uh, there was a lot of alcoholism going on. Uh, we've made good wine and all sorts of stuff for many years, but uh, 
there was this plethora of people that were suffering from alcohol problems and alcohol-related problems. And one of the doctors at this one institution where they were treating these people said, I'm going to stick them on cannabis. And I don't know whether he fed it to them or he had them smoking it because there's, there's no records other than that they actually got people off of alcohol by making them smoke, yeah, it was smoke, marijuana, mm-hmm. okay, or cannabis. Well, because it, it obviously must help. It's like these heroin addicts coming off of the whatever the thing is that they got onto, and it's sedative, it's definitely healing, and it's an alternative. I mean, Dr. Bob, the other night on something that I watched on on, on, on YouTube, I think it was, <laughs> he said that his mate who'd come to South Africa, this was they were studying HIV stuff and all that, um, he'd been off of his medication for a few weeks and he came back and he was very freaked out and he ate several grams. I don't know whether it was five or more, but he ate several grams of oil, which put him into what Dr. Bob described as a cannabis coma. Coma, yeah. Thielman, I was actually speaking with uh, Dr. Melamed, Bob Melamed, yesterday, and uh, he was telling me the story, and it was 50 yeah. grams, 50. Yeah. Five zero. Yeah. Yeah. Five zero that he took all at once. Yeah. Tillman, what's what's the legal status of uh, cannabis there now? Are are you able to? Is it medically recognized? Are you able to grow? I kind of get that are. it's not. Well, they are. Um, we had a member of parliament here, an Italian gentleman, but a South African. Oh, Italian. Uh, he had uh, leukemia and was getting RSO in this country from Spain. And unfortunately, uh, a bunch of oil came through that came off of a field that had had uh, some pesticides or other stuff put on it. Nobody thought of cleaning it out or anything, and uh, it affected the medication, Mm. and he lost his battle. But he introduced a health bill to Parliament, which has his name on it, and we're now trying to get it passed. But in the meantime, the Cape, Western Cape Courts, have ruled in favour of the individual being allowed to grow. Uh, it's up to five or six plants. They mustn't be in an obviously seen area. So much like we have a lot of swimming pools in this country because that's sunshine again. But you cannot have a swimming pool unless you make it childproof. And so, so the same with literally do the same with a plant. plant. Okay, yeah, fair but enough. But you're allowed to smoke it. Sorry, I just said fair enough. Anything you would like to say in conclusion, Thielman? Uh, keep up the good work. That's uh, very kind of you. Thank you. It was a pleasure to talk to you. It was great of you to do this. Okay, I'm glad I've done it. <laughs> Thielman, it's been awesome to finally talk to you because I've known you for years now. You've been on my page, and uh, it's kind of great to uh, put a voice to uh, the guy that keeps sending me messages. <laughs> well. I look forward to ending up because I have my son in Seattle uh, and I will make some plan, Corey, come hello high water to get up to your neck of the woods or whatever the next time I'm up there. I'll let you know way ahead of time. Oh, please do, because it would be awesome to meet you. Uh, Ian yeah, and I will take you for down. coffee. Yeah, it'd be great. Yeah, it'd be. we'll do something. Don't worry. No. I want to meet Timothy Tipton too. Oh, from Colorado. 
Uh, I thought he lived in uh, Portland, in Oregon. No, he's in uh, Colorado, but he's been moving he's around a bit lately. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Thanks, Tealman. Thank you. Thank you, Tealman. Take care. And that's another edition of Cannabis Health Radio. Don't forget, you can listen to us on Apple iTunes. And also now you can listen to Cannabis Health Radio podcasts on Stitcher. You can download the Stitcher app. Simply go to stitcher.com. And also give us a review on Stitcher because reviews won't show until there are five of them. So we need five reviews. And uh, thanks, everyone, for supporting the show. And wherever you are in the world, thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Cannabis Health Radio podcast. Visit our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, it's Justin Benton, host of the Miracle Plant Podcast, where we discuss this miracle plant that goes by so many names and how it's helping people in so many extraordinary ways. So if you love this plant and you want to hear a story that tugs on those heartstrings and learn more about this plant, then head on over to the Miracle Plant Podcast. You'll be glad you did.